You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. So officially welcome everyone to our very first How She Did It in the Lead to Soar Network. And I'm thrilled bits that I've got my mate Marlene Elliott here with me today to kick us off. Before I go any further, I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands wherever we're on today. For me, that's the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I'm here in Nam, which is Melbourne in Australia. I want to pay my respects to elders past and present. And if I think and consider and reflect on the theme of how she did it, I wonder how much we might learn from the matriarchs of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture who've maintained the oldest living culture in the world for over 65,000 years. So great to have you here and it's great to be learning from Marlene. And in her own words, she wasn't the cool kid at school. She didn't make the A-grade netball team, but she ended up playing elite sport, had 15 years in banking, 15 years at a big four consultancy firm and has a now a portfolio of non-executive director roles. So Marlene's going to share with us how she did it and what sets how she did it apart, as well as our amazing network, Lead to Soar, is that we don't focus on the normal platitudes and the normal adder girls and yay you. Yes, we do all of that. We are a cheer squad. But what we focus on is the practicalities So how she did it is if you want to be a a successful board director, a successful non-executive director, a successful CEO, executive leader, we show you how to do that. And particularly with women like Marlene who've had, well, she's going to share exactly the steps that she took. And of course, I'm going to ask her a few questions along the way. For those of you here live on the call today, once Marlene and I stop talking, which, you know, could be in about three hours time, given how much (laughs) we talk normally, (laughs) we'll open up to your questions. So Marlene Elliott, welcome to How She Did It. Thank you. What's your story? Well, my story is, is that I was not a cool kid at school. I was bullied and alienated. I had older strict parents I was a a late child so my parents were quite old and conservative and and strict and I couldn't make the A-grade team at netball so therefore I wasn't qualified to go out and trial for the under 16 school team so that was disappointing and then my sister saw an ad and said there's under 21 state trials why don't you have a go at that and I went oh okay why not with the encouragement from my older sister have a crack which will come up through the theme of our discussion today. And so I went out to the under-21 state trials at the age of 15, I was actually, and I made the under-21 state squad. And I ended up playing netball for South Australia at the age of 16 in the under-21 state team. And that was the launch of my netball career. And I soon became a cool kid at school, which was really silly. That's my background really in terms of having having a go. And I made the state team and then I made the open state team and then I represented South Australia and then I also played National League. And the reason why I I tell that story is don't let other people define you. Never give up and have a crack. Pursue the things you are passionate about and be brave and bold in your endeavour. That's the reason why I tell that story because I could have just not made the team and sulked and 
walked away and been alienated, but I didn't. That was the start of my netball career, which led me into professional coaching and also started my first board role at netball because I wanted to give back to the sport that gave me so much as a woman and as a leader. Mm. I want to pick up on your older sister though. So here's the power of strategic mentors and sponsors in those people moving beyond, go on, give it a crack. She said, here's the opportunity. I want you to go for it. It sounds like that was your first experience in someone saying, come on, I'm going to push you towards something that you don't think you're quite ready for. Was that a theme for you later in your career or throughout your career? Yeah, definitely from my older sister, but also too, because I was so young in the under 21 team, which also trained with the open team, which was over 21. I've got some older friendships from that. And so right from that young age, I have had naturally those mentors that I always looked up to and they always um, encouraged me to take the opportunity and I was always striving. And so that has flowed through to me where I just naturally love mentoring people and that will come through in sharing my purpose with you that I just want to hang on to because it wraps up our discussion nicely of what my purpose is. So naturally I do mentor other people and mentoring can happen naturally. And it also can happen very formally. So it was the start of me experiencing a natural mentor, which was my older sister, then flowed into the older players that I was surrounded by. And then that that became ingrained in me naturally because of what I experienced and the joy and the success and the progression I got out of that. So netball leads to coaching and What was happening in your professional career at the same time, Miles? Well, this is another story about having a crack. (laughs) My husband and I got married young, 25, and a bank wouldn't give us a loan for a home. So I went to a building society and co-op building society, which actually became Adelaide Bank, gave us a loan. And so I actually then went back to the bank and said, I really want to work for this bank. Can I work here and can I have a job? And I'm happy to start as a teller in a branch because it was the the only bank that would give us the money to buy a home. So once again, asking that question and starting grassroots and working your way up, I ended up being general manager of wholesale banking, working at that bank for 15 years because they were the bank that gave us a loan for the home. The true story. The bank was fantastic and supported me in, in my career as I pursued it with playing netball, travelling with netball, and then coaching, which also was was travelling with netball. So that's how my professional career blended with my job and also to good employers like helping and supporting elite athletes as well. So there's definitely a have a crack theme starting to emerge. So tell us about, I guess, you know, we're here to hear about your board story. You said you got your first role quite early as a board director how did that happen? What I want to recognise here or acknowledge is that, and funny, one of our great members, Philip, is on the call with us today. And Philip and I have been talking for probably about 15 or 20 years, haven't we, Philip, about boards and, and leadership and elevating women. And one of the things we were just talking about this week is how frustrating it is to commence your board career because I said to someone once, how do you get on a board? And they said, by being on a board. And you know, once you're on a board, you seem to get other board roles, but you've got to have that first or second leapfrog role, don't you? So how did you make that first board move? 
as I mentioned earlier, my first board was netball because I wanted to give back to the sport that gave me so much. So that was my first step and that was, I wouldn't say it was easy. You still had to go through an election process, but obviously when you've got a background and been a successful player and coach, I did get onto the, the board of Netball South Australia. And then I was still working at KPMG there. So I've had 15 years at Adelaide Bank and 15 years at KPMG, two employers in 30 years, but lots of opportunities and progression and promotions within that time, not just the same constant job. My board's career opened up when I decided to leave KPMG in July 2018 because I wanted to carve out time to invest in myself and my career to create that space to pursue a professional non-executive portfolio. However, there's times prior to that, and, and this is some advice I give other people that perhaps can't leave their job or don't have the capacity to create that space, is that put your hand up for subcommittees. Start your board career in areas that you really are passionate about not because you just want to be on a board. And I think that's really important. So whether it's a subcommittee or whether it's being an independent member and usually not-for-profit obviously is your best place to start. And I tell you what, it is the best learning ground in terms of complexity, financial management, risk management, stakeholder management. It is the best learning ground. Do the arts in subcommittees. Then you build your network. Then you learn. Then you actually are connecting and interacting with other board members. To me, that is the perfect platform where you start. I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's certainly advice that I give aspiring board members. And you've said my favourite word there, which is networking, just for transparency. So Marlene and I met each other, well, it was pre-pandemic, so but everything feels a bit elastic, but we met each other through a networking, a women in sport networking event, clicked and here we are. So And Marlene is a great connector and has connected me with other people. So networking is really key, but also think about the pathway. You aren't necessarily going to be handpicked out of randomly for an ASX or for our US members, a listed board. It's highly unlikely to happen because those boards, rightly or wrongly, are still chosen from networks of people who have got a track record of credentials around taking organisations forward. And I want to come to the skill sets in a moment, Marlene, because you've honed yours over time. But that showing up, I remember Peggy O'Neill, who is the president, or in fact, she's the outgoing president, most recent president of Richmond Football Club here in Melbourne, Her story is that she showed up to Richmond probably, I think it was 20-something years ago and said, how can I help? And over a course of volunteering, turning up, showing up, becoming part of of the team, then elevated herself towards subcommittees, boards, and then ultimately as president. So there are some stories where it happens overnight and people go, oh, you're great and let's get you on there. Sure, but I would challenge it. It's not random. That person has done the networking. She is known to the decision makers as someone who can make stuff happen. So I think it's good good advice. Michelle, I'll tell you another story about having another crack. So as I mentioned, I, I carved out that time to pursue a career. You know, I looked at, you know, board roles that were being advertised. I'm on four boards, Commonwealth Games Australia, Workways Australia, Peninsula Leisure and Triathlon Australia. And 
I've stepped away from netball. I needed a, a bit of a break, but I was approached as an independent director of Triathlon Australia. My area of expertise is governance. I love governance because I think governance can be your best friend. It's actually not a limiter or, or restrictor. Um, I talk about governance and share, I shared that article with you, Michelle. Mm. But one of the other examples I wanted to give is that Workways Australia is an, as a national organisation, employment services. I have no idea of employment services, never worked in that industry at all, delivering major contracts for state and federal government, offices from Cairns right down to Gippsland, uh, Victoria. Why did I pursue that board and why did that ad attract me? It's because it changes people's lives. It breaks the cycle and I wanted to work, work because it is work. Boards, you don't just sit around and have kumbaya around a board table. It's work, trust me, and I'm the chair of the governance committee there and it's a large organisation but it changes people's lives. Unemployed people, disability employment services, people coming out of jail, single women trying to get back into the workforce, huge amount of unemployment for children environmental services that have young kids join a program that give them a certificate and they go on and pursue a career, yet they dropped out of school in year nine. So I had no idea of employment services, but what it did is change people's lives. And that's why I put my hand up and had a crack at that. And I, and I, I got appointed to that board and I just got reappointed for another three years. And I love it. Nice. I think there's a fine line between Pursuing areas or boards that, you know, you may not have experience in the sector, but they appeal to you and you appeal to them for a range of different reasons. And I think the call to action there, listeners, is to not rule yourself out of a an infrastructure board or a, a social services board or a technical board or whatever it may be, because often in those circumstances, there will already be technical board directors who know the subject matter expertise. And what we need is are independent people with a specific skill set or a broader worldview than the sector itself. So it's good advice. Don't rule yourself out. Rule yourself in should be the thing, right, Marlene? I like that. Rule yourself in. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. I agree. I'm really want to talk about building your network because I think that's so important. However, before we do that, the learning path, the skill building path for board directors, this is really so, so important. Of course, in the network, we talk about the missing 33% business strategic and financial acumen may not be missing in your skill set, may be missing in how you demonstrate it. But those are central skills for board directors, clearly. If you don't know top or tail of a balance sheet or a profit and loss, you're going to have to know that. But for you, Marlene, what was the skill building discipline that you applied and continue to for your board career? Yeah, good question. Well, I completed the company director's course. I think that is important. Uh, You look at a lot of the advertisements, it, it does say that you need to have that qualification. I'm not saying that it's absolute be or mend all and you stop there. I've continued to learn. And you learn from other people and learn from asking questions. Workways is an incredibly complex business. You place people in a job and you have 12-week, 26, 52-week payment. It's complex. You're dealing with government and the cash flow. It's really hard. So I put my hand up and I said, look, I understand good level of financial balance sheet and profit and loss 
and forecasting, but I still get a little bit confused and my eyes go a bit wonky. So I asked to spend time with the CFO to really break it down and get into the real understanding and have the opportunity to ask those questions that sometimes you might feel a bit uncomfortable asking at a board meeting. And I did that quite early. Mm. So don't be afraid to actually put your hand up and ask, can I spend a little bit of time with you? So that's what I did for my financials. You keep learning, you keep reading, you keep listening and you keep asking questions. And I decided that I wanted to put my hand up and get on the um, governance subcommittee. And I did that because I needed to really understand the governance of an organisation and really unpack that and see how it impacts an organisation and the requirements that you must fulfil as a director. And so when I did that, I just fell in love with it. And I thought, right, I'm going to make governance sexy. I'm going to make governance really cool. Governance might be an uncool kid. I'm going to make it a cool kid. I was really inspired and energised about how can governance enable an organisation, make it more effective, create opportunities, reduce the stress, take workload off of management and the board. So that's what I did. To me, governance is like your best friend. It's there to support you. It's there to call you out at times. It's be there to be open and transparent. It's there to give you advice and it's also to hold you back a little bit when you're, you're not behaving. Those people who know me know that I like my life like a bento box. So governance is like a beautiful bento box, place for everything and everything in its place. But mm. I want to pick up on how it makes life easier because governance effectively is it's the charter of the organisation. It's the way we work, our ways of working, mm. the the cadence, the reporting methods, all that kind of stuff. But how does it make life easier for management? And I think this is an important question because there's still that myth about the boards there to catch management out, which of course is complete bollocks. So tell us how governance makes life easier. Well, I'll answer that in an example, I think, because I like to be practical and give live examples. So on the governance committee for one of the boards, you have your AICD principles and you have your ACNC guidelines or principles and guidelines. Just going to interpret because AICD for our international listeners is the Australian Institute of Company Directors and they're the various equivalents around the world. And the ACNC is about, I could never remember the acronyms, but it's the charitable. Charitable. So these are the organisations that provide the environment and advice and education and learning for directors to fulfil their duties and responsibilities. So they have principles and guidelines. And the example I'm giving is that this governance committee that I was on, not chair of, it was before I was chair, would spend every meeting ticking through, does the board meet that principle? So it became quite boring, a very admin and very maintenance and very tick box exercise. So I came up with the idea of instead of going through every meeting like that, why don't we actually pull all those principles together, which there are, I think there's 15 for AICD and about 10 for ACNC, and they're similar, but you need to look at both. Why don't we pull them together in one report? And why don't we ask and work closely with the management and ask them, what are the mechanisms And what are the triggers 
and what are the operating rhythm of the business that meets those principles and requirements and guidelines. And so what that did is that, one, we didn't spend every meeting ticking a box. Secondly, what it did, it elevated the knowledge and educated the management of what principles and guidelines and governance is about. So it elevated their knowledge and it actually brought governance and management and the board closer together with this beautiful report and the management have then identified, well, we actually could do a bit better meeting that principle. We could actually implement this here and we could actually take away that there because it's not returning value and it doesn't even exist in the principle of one of the principles. So that's an example where you had a whole lot of tick box exercise, boring admin, drag the meeting down, grabbed it and said, what about management? You take this and you review it, we will support you and you bring it back to the governance committee and it works beautifully. And so you've got a lot of good return on investment, elevated the education of management, brought the two management and board from a governance perspective a lot closer and a lot better understanding of how governance can support an organisation and make it more effective and actually hum. And it's a good example. I often use the example for executives and leaders around putting governance principles into our operating rhythms and structuring regular team meetings and having agenda items, being really clear, agenda items, so what's for discussion, what's for decision, what's just for information, but also saying, well, okay, what do we really want to check in on here? People, customers, shareholders. And if you have those three simple agenda items, you get very, very focused. And again, good governance is about providing those the framework for really good discussion, really good learning, and of course, taking the business forward. So it's a great example. Just picking up mm. on your comment, is it, and that's another thing too, is that who are your stakeholders? And in my opinion, that is an area that is seriously lacking attention and investment on boards. So every governance committee meeting, we have a best practice topic. What are we going to talk about that's best practice? Brilliant. And one of them was stakeholders and the voice of the customer. So we now have a voice of the customer report on how we're performing that comes to the governance committee and goes to the board quarterly. That never existed before. Mm. And that is really just listening to your customers and that's knowing your stakeholders. That's still governance. Absolutely agreed. And on reflection, I think about stakeholder management, stakeholder one-on-one. In fact, I, I did a strategy day with a listed company last week. And one of the things that emerged was we need to do a stakeholder scan and then have a really good stakeholder management plan. Because at the moment, everyone's kind of doing everything and nothing. And we've got really, really important stakeholders who are probably not getting the information they need, not feeling the love and therefore becoming noisy and irascible. So anyway, that continuous learning, recognising where your strengths are, recognising where your gaps are. I really want to pull out that call to action, folks, because this applies to us at whatever career stage you're at. If financials are not your thing, and this is the month where, as we're recording, it's February 2023, and we're focusing on building and demonstrating your financial acumen. You don't necessarily have to go and do a course, you know, finance for non-finance managers. They are useful, but go and have a chat with your CFO. Go and have a chat with the finance business partner. 
have them take you through what the financials are and how your job contributes vice versa. And for transparency, I'm married to a CFO, but I've never met a finance business partner who isn't delighted when someone says, come and tell me about your job and how I can make it easier, because that's the key. And boy, you learn a lot of stuff, including the lingo. Yes, there are standard terms, accounting terms and things, finance terms across the world, but gee whiz, every organisation has its own language and involving that person in your development is really, really handy. It's a great tip, Marlene. So tell us about the importance of networking. Yeah, well, I think authenticity. Authenticity is probably the word that stands out for me because I've seen people in action and networking and they're not authentic and it just, it shows. What shows? I always say that the smart women I know have got very finely tuned bullshit detectors. So how do you detect the bullshit? You can see they're thinking about their next question and not listening to you. And their questions are targeted to benefit them. So for me, I think you need to be selfless. And networking is about understanding and exploring and learning from others. Now, Michelle and I clicked straight away and it was fun. We had lots of fun. But I learned about Michelle and I thought, how can I help Michelle? Who can I connect her with? So my radar comes up when they ask ad hoc, inconsistent questions when they're looking around the room and they're, they're not engaged, they're not invested in you, mm. they're not learning from you, they're not exploring a new person and that's how you can tell. I think also what's really important is that when you do talk about yourself and that's okay to do that, because an authentic networker wants to learn about you, share your passion and your purpose. You know, when you do go to networking events, and I'm not saying be scripted, but you need to know what are you passionate about and what's your purpose. And you are wholly committed to sharing that and it does not change. Long-time listeners and also our members will know the key principles that certainly I bang on about a lot is networking is about generosity and reciprocity. And it's also about being able to more than adequately represent yourself. You've got to know your purpose, your positional purpose. What am I here to do? In the context of your organisation, whether it's a board or whether it's your employer, what am I paid to do? What are the outcomes I'm leading for? And then overlaying that with, and this is my place in the world. So being really clear on that, and I will say we're having a bit of a mutual love fest here, but when I met Marlene, I was really clear about what her purpose was, and she's going to share that in a moment. But I just meant this is someone I can trust. What you see is what you get with me, and you know, I do what I say on the tin and, and all that kind of stuff. But I really felt like there was, an, as you said, that immediate connection and following up. So Marlene follows up. She's a great connector. Michelle, I need you to meet so-and-so because they're good for blah, blah, and it happens. So generosity, reciprocity, doing what you say you're going to do and being your authentic self, positioning yourself really well in line with who you really are and what you want to bring. It's it's great advice. Just following on from that is present Mm. yourself as a safe pair of hands. Mm. Build that strong relationship and that rapport and trust. You are a safe pair of hands. So you need to make the person feel comfortable 
And by being authentic, by being clear with your passion and your purpose and being confident to share that no matter who you talk to, I certainly don't change from talking to Michelle to female or male, doesn't matter. I am absolutely consistent and I say exactly the same and share my passion and purpose and I am authentically the same. To me, that's a big takeout that I want to share because I see many people flip-flop and change depending on who they're talking to and who they're networking with. And I, I think how do you then present your fulsome self in your authentic way if you're always changing depending on who you want to talk to and who you're networking with I think that's a big danger and people do do that and the world is smaller than we think it is and you never know who knows who and if you're presenting a different version of yourself to a couple Mm. of key people who then go oh do you know that Michelle Redfern well she might be all right for the board yeah she's the one who's that no no that's not what she told me networks are big but they're small and people talk Marlene and I are you know really involved in the sports network, which is massive in, in Australia, but small. People know people. So you do have to show up as yourself, as that person. So I'm conscious I want to hand over to our members for their questions, but tell us what's your purpose, Marlene, and mm. how is that fulfilled through your portfolio of boards? Yep, yep. It's really, really simple and it's really, really clear and it's selfless. My purpose is to enable others to shine and succeed. That's it. Gets me out of bed every day, personally and professionally. If I can help others shine and succeed, I'm a very happy woman. And you do that. And I I am the recipient of the shininess. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And we were, I can't think which conversation I was having this week about someone said you reap what you sow. You do reap what you sow and it's, you know, what is it Philip was saying that the old sayings, they're old and they've stood the test of time for a reason. That sort of thing does work. How has it played out on your board career though, Marlene? Certainly as a non-executive director sitting on a board, I feel I'm helping others shine and succeed. Now that could be a fellow board member. It could be offering my support and help certainly picking up extra duties to lighten the load for the chair, but also it flows into what the organisation, Workways, Peninsula Leisure, Commonwealth Games, what is it doing to people's lives? In a big picture, it's enabling them to shine and succeed as well. So Mm. to me, it's just a natural fit. It's really hard to pinpoint exactly what I do on a board that enables others to shine and succeed. I think it's it's just a, a continuous investment that I make in other people really I don't sit on a board so you know I can have a free lunch or a flight to Sydney or go to a strategic planning day once a year I sit on a board to enable others to shine and succeed and that plays out in lots of different ways there's four words I'd like to share in terms of my leadership my career and my board resilience take the hits they make you stronger and never stop learning you've got to absorb them Discipline, choose your priorities, develop a structure and framework around you that brings out the best in you. Authenticity, be yourself. Be confident to be different and selfless. Make the time to give to others and help them grow and help them achieve. So resilience, discipline, authenticity and selfless. 
And I do want to share my favourite. I don't know if I've jumped the gun. I know you want to wrap up soon, Michelle. But no, no, I want to hand over to to the questions because I know there'll be questions from the the Wonder Women on the call. But go for it. My favourite go-to statements, and they're fun. Focus on the ball and let the scoreboard take care of itself. So if you apply that to business or you apply that to a client, the ball is the client. Focus on the ball and let the scoreboard take care of itself. So I hardly ever looked at a scoreboard when I played that ball. I just was always focused on the ball because if I did that job well and also supported my teammates, the scoreboard's going to take care of itself. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. <laughs> Get uncomfortable to be more comfortable. Get uncomfortable to be more comfortable. So they're my three go-to favourite sayings that I like sharing at the end of my conversation. Fantastic. So we've learned about your journey, non-cool kid to, you know, elite athlete, coach, banker, management consultant, now portfolio board career. Your focus on continuous learning, how your purpose guides you, the importance of networking and those little tips and tricks around networking, particularly around generosity reciprocity and authenticity we've got a really good sense well I've got a really good sense albeit I've got prior knowledge of how your ethos has driven you to make the decisions that you've made Marlene thanks so much I'll be putting a whole bunch of resources that Marlene shared with me when I post the recording so please do jump in and and have a look at those as well and of course networking is working so do connect with Marlene I've given you her LinkedIn link and uh, continue the conversation because she's a pretty good egg (laughs) thanks Michelle you're very you're too kind and thank you so much for the opportunity to share my story and to share my purpose and that is to enable others to shine and succeed and Michelle congratulations on all the work you do with amazing women and uh, you are a superstar so thanks for the opportunity thanks miles and uh, and give my hometown a wave and i'll yeah. uh, i shall see you when you're back on uh, the east coast have thanks. a great day bye. bye thank you for joining us for this episode of lead to soar we sincerely appreciate your honest positive reviews you can leave questions at lead for michelle and mel to answer on future episodes Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.